Also known as OK Country over on Twitter, and welcome to the This Is Country podcast, where I talk to country's best artists and songwriters to go behind the scenes of their creative process, their career, and the music industry. Today, I'm joined by Texas-based singer-songwriter Seth Jones, who came back to the podcast to preview some songs off his second album, Whiskey Attitude, out November 13th, 2020, as well as reflecting upon how he's grown as an artist and songwriter, and sharing stories from the making of the album. Plus, if you're a fan of The Office, stick around after the interview to hear Seth and I rank all of the characters from the show. Let's get right into the conversation. Last time, the first episode we did together, we talked about your first album, or at least first country album, Puzzle Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, now you're about to release number two, Whiskey Attitude. So to start off, some questions about the album as a whole. So it's been almost a year since you put out Puzzle Man. And you've just been working away, working and working like we were just talking about. You crank it out. And I think you mentioned on Twitter like last night, like album three is already a thing. Yeah. And we were just talking about that. So in like in the year between Puzzle Man and where you're at now releasing Whiskey Attitude, what has changed in that year? What's gone on in that year? What's different? How has like your career progressed or what things have you seen happen with your music over the last year? I've, I've, I've had a slow, as far as numbers, like spins and, and, and orders and things like that. Mm -hmm. It's been a slow growth, very slow growth, nothing substantial. I think the way that works is, uh, once you something hits like a, a, a big time artist shares you or whatever happens to make the album hit, I think there's a little bit of a snowball effect. Yeah. I haven't I haven't hit anything that initiated a snowball effect. I'm just as usual doing a real slow build grassroots make sure every, I tell people when I meet them about it and if you tell 10 people, eight of them will seem interested, four of them will actually listen maybe two will listen to all of them and one will become a legit fan. Yeah. So I just try to, I try to be upfront with people about it when they ask, what do you do? What do you do? I like to, I want to mention the music. I don't want to, you know, hide that part. I want that to be up, up front because that's the only way I'm going to gain fans really. So as far as numbers go, that's been a slow build. Mm-hmm. Now, philosophically, <clears throat> emotionally, all that, crap a lot happens in that span of time of course and i'm always i second guess myself all the time i'm real wishy-washy with what i think is going to work what's not going to work yeah i think what happened early on in the year is i got real particularly pissed off at the music business because i feel like what i do is actual art like mm-hmm. I, it actually means something. I actually care about it. I think deeply. I try to make, I try to just display song craft and not just some crap that I think is going to sell. Yeah. And the stuff that is just crap that they think is going to sell. That's, you know, that they put that out. It sounds like they, eight dudes got together and, and put some, laid some crap down and said, yeah, they'll fall for that and put it out. 
Yeah. And, and it works. People eat it, it up. It does. It sells. It sells. And me and, uh, me and someone today were talking about, they're like, oh, don't you love Blake Sheldon? I said, I like his earlier stuff, but lately he's, he's completely different. His songs are. And they're like, oh, you don't like his new stuff? I said, he literally had a song that said, cheetah back a cheetah back a cheetah back a spit. That's not what I'm looking for yeah. with songs. But then I told the person, I said, but look, that's what he does. It's it's a music business. He's as deep into the music business as anyone. Uh-huh. And what the music business is, okay, we need to do an album of songs that people will like right now and buy and spin. And it's a business. Yep. That's all it is. Yeah. That I believe that business, the music business is the antithesis of art. I believe they work against each other. I think mm-hmm. that anytime you get heavily into the business aspect of music, it degrades the art. And that's why I have so much disdain for the music and, and for the business and the people that manipulate it and benefit from it and keep the art at bay because the art doesn't sell. So that kind of stuff was just stuck in my mind the whole time. And it really did piss me off. And yeah. that's kind of, that's why I named the album Whiskey Attitude because it's got a lot of attitude in it. And I had a lot of attitude in me when I was writing it. Gosh. can tell it's an angry it's a pretty angry album not every song is angry obviously there's 16 songs i didn't mm-hmm. want them all to be pissed off but <laughs> but there's plenty of anger in the album and i think that was a big change because puzzle man i was just writing songs about me and and the, the problems in life and con- inner conflict turmoil and stuff like that just i'm gonna write an album about about my life and my problems, typical stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, Whiskey Attitude, I would literally write some songs because I was angry and wanted to put a good song into the world to counter one of the shitty songs that is being pushed for money. Uh-huh. I mean, it's, and I understand that's weird, and I am weird. That's why I made Paul's a Man my first song. I'm, I am weird. I understand that. Uh-huh. I'm, not, I'm not like most people. But it is what it is, and that's what happened. I did whiskey attitude. The song itself, lyrically, it's it doesn't it like doesn't sum up the album the way Puzzle Man sub, summed up Puzzle Man. Whiskey attitude. I would say that's probably one of the more just sit down and write a song type of songs I've written. Mm-hmm. Like uh, there wasn't a a deep emotional connection when I started writing it. I just thought to myself, honestly, I think I was. I just started playing the A chord more and I was like, I want to write a song with an A chord in it. All right. I think that's what happened. And so I sat down and I came up with a little riff and then I'd been drinking. I had just, I had months prior gotten deep into the whiskey game, like Mm -hmm. legit drinking my whiskey on, on a block of ice and caring about the taste of whiskey. I had really gotten into whiskey. So I started singing about, drinking and stuff like that and i wanted to make it a song that kind of meant something not just a i'm getting drunk type thing mm-hmm. and whiskey attitude came out of my mouth of my brain 
And I like, I think it ended up, it's not like the most lyrically complex song I've written by any means. It's actually pretty far down that list, I think. Mm-hmm. But as far as just the, the total sound, the melody and the catchy chorus, I think it, it worked out really well and serves that purpose. Yeah, absolutely. I'd agree. I really do think it's a great title track to the album too. I just chose that as the title track because it, it sounds good and it's got the word attitude, a whiskey attitude. That's what was going on during the writing of the album. Yeah. The, the song itself, the lyrical content, it's more of a heartbreak and a wishing I could be enough for you. Yeah. It, that there does not sum up the album, but the name, the title of that song does. Yeah, I'd agree with that. That's really cool. And I'm glad you dove in on why you named it Whiskey Attitude because I like listening to the album. I very much agree. I love the, the song, by the way. I love the song, but I loved like the there was a lot of attitude in the album. That's for sure. But it's almost not all of its angry attitude either. There's such a variety in the way that you're communicating kind of different sides of different stories in it. And it made it really interesting to listen to. Yeah, and uh, that part of it wasn't really planned. Mm-hmm. I think the I think mainly the there's different there's two different aspects to the word attitude in regards to this album. One in regards to why I was writing certain songs. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I was literally pissed off at the music business and wanted to put good songs out there. Yeah, I, there are some nights I was just angry and I'd go into the the room i'm like i'm gonna write an effing song and i'd sit there and drink and i'd be pissed off at myself for not getting a line and i'd change it and it's just crazy it's kind of crazy but i did that that was that the aspect of attitude in regards to making the song making the art and uh (laughs) then there's that the attitude lyrically like literally the angry attitude the how much i love you and how much i blame myself uh huh. So there's different, there's like two different, two different aspects to the word attitude in regards to the album. Yeah, and I love that. I love these, like just within music. I love interesting music, and this album is a very interesting album. Just like you were explaining, there's different connotations to that word attitude throughout different songs on the album. And when you think about that and put it together and partner all these themes together. It's really cool to think about and it's interesting music and it's very intriguing to listen to while also being satisfying. So I love that. That's something I love about kind of your music and your writing both together. I think that was important, really important. We talked about how it's, there's the different connotations of the word and the variety of sound. Mm -hmm. I think that's particularly important in a 16 song album. Oh, absolutely. 16 songs, man. You can't have 16 songs that are all the same. Absolutely That's, not. Oh, you, can do a, you can do a six-track little LP. You can do that, and all of them sound similar because it's mm-hmm. going to be done soon. But a 16-song album, you've got to have a big bit of variety, and I do think that I pulled that off on this particular album. Yeah, for sure. So how would you say you've like grown or evolved as an artist and a songwriter between like puzzle man and whiskey attitude? I believe as a songwriter, maybe we'll put it in terms of ammunition since I'm a a Texan. We'll say maybe at, at some point you become a really good songwriter. You get really good at doing it and you know how to do it, blah, blah, blah. And maybe you don't, at some point you don't start getting better, higher grade bullets, but you get more of them. 
Mm-hmm. You get a, a better variety of them. And I feel like the longer you're in the songwriting game, the more you're, the more you're capable of, like maybe n- your songs, your songwriting may not necessarily be higher quality, but you're able to write high quality songs about different subjects, different tempos, different emotions, mm-hmm. even being able to do some lyrics that when you're, when you're more green and the craft, certain lyrics you're trying to fit in there, you couldn't do it without making it sound awkward or bad, but now you can. Yeah. So that, that would, that doesn't necessarily lead to better songs, but it leads to more good songs that are different that maybe you couldn't have pulled off before. And I feel like, I feel like that's always happening. So mm-hmm. I do feel like that probably happened. It's hard to, <clears throat> it's hard to notice. It's like when you're getting fat, over the six months, span, <laughs> you don't know you're getting fat. <laughs> Other people might know. So I guess people will hear this and they can tell me better than I would know. Yeah. As an artist, I don't know. Once again, it's like getting fat. I can't tell. <laughs> uh, but I don't, I think that me as an artist, I'm always the same because I am weird. I am naturally just creative and, and different. Mm-hmm. I think that's a constant but I think what changes with me over time, at least so far, is my inhibitions. And maybe that's part of getting older because uh, a 20-year-old lady, uh, she's like, don't look at me, I'm changing. I work with elderly, right? An 88-year-old lady is like, help me take my bra off. Like, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know it's a slightly different example, but as you age, you start just caring less about certain things. It's just mm-hmm. part, part of aging. It really is. And I think that with Puzzle Man, I was thinking to myself, I don't want to make too many waves. I don't want to, I want to make it easier to listen to blah, blah, blah. I want to still be artistic. I still want to write gut wrenching stuff like never learn. I wanted to do stuff like that, but there were probably a lot of things during the writing of it where I was thinking, nah, let me take the easier path. And I believe that I opt for the tougher path mm-hmm. sometimes now, lyrically and musically. And you look at songs like, which one is it? When I Can't Pretend. Yes. Like the Conway Twitty style talking top stuff. There was no way that would have been in, in Puzzle Man. Misery, I know you. You've always been the one. You watch me while I'm sleeping. And you protect me from the sun. Times when I consider the salvation of a gun. They're reminding me My misery's just begun And how can I love her When I don't love me How can I steal her breath When I can't breathe And how can I pick up all the pieces When I'm too broken to bend How can I take care of her heart Like we weren't just Can't pretend. 
with this beautiful slowed down production at the beginning, but it has that spoken word part to it. Like you're speaking and then it transitions into the singing and then you go back to some of the talking. It just sent chills down my spine. It's especially the lines that you're speaking. It's just like poetry just rattling off into the universe. So like what led you to do that? Like having that talking part, tell me like where did that even come about? This is interesting. It was actually not even my idea to do that. Okay. I didn't even consider it. Uh-huh. Like I, I didn't, I, I never thought about doing that. I wrote the song. <clears throat> I kind of, that was one of the last songs I wrote, you know, do, like I wrote it and then I was like, let's record it. I really like it, but I didn't have time to sit on that song. So I recorded it. I, I was listening to it for weeks and weeks. And I thought to myself, I really love these lyrics, but I'm not, I don't love the melody. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just, I thought it could be better. I didn't think I sang it well enough. I didn't like the melody. So I went about, I told myself, okay, the song is tracked. The music is there. I'm not going to change that. I'm not going to pay how much more dollars to change the music. Screw it. The music's good. The music was great. That wasn't the problem. Mm-hmm. But I thought I need to practice the song with that music and change the melody because you can change the melody with the same music if you do it right yeah you're somewhat restricted but anyway i was changing the melody i'd got the melody changed i added some things that made it more interesting and more and easier better to listen to and i went in there and i sang that new melody and the producer was like i like that a lot more i said yeah i do too but let me do it again it's they're still off Mm -hmm. i did it again and he said, how'd you like that one? He said, I kind of like the first one better. I said, yeah, I kind of like the first one better too. I said, I think the problem is that I changed the melody and the original melody is creeping back while I sing. Uh-huh. Hard to get your mind off of the original melody, especially yeah. when you wrote it that way. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I was like, I just need to try it again. He said, he said, let me, he said, let me try something. He said, and you're probably going to hate it. And I said, okay, we'll try it. I was, the, I was in the vocal booth. He was talking to me. He said, where, where were you when you wrote this song? I was like, yeah, in the writing room, in the, my writing room. He said, was it bright outside, dark outside? What? I said, it was probably dark. And he said, was it winter or summer? I said, it was winter. It was cold. He said, put yourself back in that place with those emotions. Mm-hmm. He said, and I want you to, he said, and like I said, this might not work. You might hate it. I want you to talk the first two lines. I said, okay. And so I did it. I talked the first two lines and then I was like, I see this working. And then we tried it again. I talked it again. And then I basically I talked it the right way. And then I said, should I talk the next two lines? And he said, let's try re-singing those next two lines. And basically that's how it went. It was like that. And then by the time we did it a few times, he was like, man, I really love this. I said, I think it's badass, honestly. Yeah. so that was the producer's idea to do that. I didn't think about it. And uh, he's not like a, he's not a big time producer, like an ideas guy. He's more of a, what do you want to do? Let me know. I'll, he's more of an engineer, like really yeah. good. At, he at, makes it happen. Just... He may, yeah. Technical guy. Uh-huh. But he said, I was like, man, good call, Paul. He said, hey, once a year, I have a great idea. And that was it. And I was like, you made it count, man, because I love that song now. And it, yeah, I'd say- I did not love it before we did that. I loved the lyrics, but I didn't love the song, which is obviously important. You want, this, you want to love of the Of course. Song. Yeah, of course. That was a cool story. I liked that. 
Yeah, but yeah. people wouldn't know that unless I told them. They'd just assume I wrote it like that. That wouldn't have uh-huh. happened. But like uh-huh. I said, I just I my inhibitions are being stripped away, and I yeah. I'm like I'm like, you know what? This is my art. This is my album. Screw it. And I think that also comes with outside validation. Mm-hmm. You know, like before Puzzle Man, I had a little a little handful of fans that liked my punk albums. And then after Puzzle Man, a lot more people were giving me praise and giving me validation. Like, you did, this is great. You did so good. And that gave me, like, confidence. Mm-hmm. And then with that confidence, when I'm doing the next album, I think, hey, I don't, I don't have to be afraid or try to prove myself or anything. These people liked it. I can do what I want to do. And Yeah. And exactly. I bet you big-time artists that people eventually say, this girl went off the freaking rocker on her fourth album, and, uh-huh. and she sucks now, or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. I think what happens is the artists get so confident, they're like, I am music. I can do what I please, and then they just suck. Or they're awesome. I don't know. I can't think of any examples right uh-huh. now, but I think that does happen to people. They get all oh, this definitely. validation, and then their inhibitions lower, and then they either make some just trash that they think is going to change the world, or they make some badass music. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great way of putting it. And you you mentioned just like looking at how how this album's different and how you've evolved and changed as like an artist and and all that. I think it's probably somewhat hard to look in on it like from your perspective as yeah. the artist because you're just there to make the art coming outside from my perspective just knowing the puzzle man album so well and then coming in and listening to this i could definitely hear kind of that picked up confidence and where you went more adventurous with the sound on certain things and like the the little talk thingy that you did and the kind of different instruments and just the overall style. It's definitely, I definitely felt that confidence shining through and you could tell that you really took it to the next level on this one. That's awesome. I'm glad that happened. I didn't plan it, but I'm glad glad that happened because I I think it's important to have some sort of evolution to an extent. And, and you're right. The, these songs are definitely more adventurous without being, without being too crazy. Yeah. absolutely they're they're clearly more adventurous so next up i have a few questions about this next one know what i mean featuring cat hasty First off, Kat Hasty is amazing. I love her music. And it's awesome to see her like blow up on TikTok right now and good taste on your part. So how did you all meet and like how did that relationship form and how did she end up being on a song on this record? Well, first of all, I know nothing about TikTok and I had uh-huh. no, I, I had no idea she was blowing up on TikTok, but I'm glad she is. Yeah. Uh, 
But she's just blowing up in general. I yeah, mean, I was like playing. I was playing something by her yesterday, just in my room. And my sister walks by. I don't. I really don't know a ton about TikTok either. But my sister walks by. She's in high school. She's like, "What is that song you're playing?" And I told her, and she's like, "That's a TikTok song." I'm like, "Oh, okay, okay, good. That's good to weird." Know. That but people- yeah, no, it's like blowing up. It has like over a million streams now. That's weird that people say it's a TikTok song. Yeah, I thought so like too. That, I was like, that, no, it's uh, not. That song by, what's it called? In Dreams. Uh, oh, the, wait, Dreams by Fleetwood Mac? Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. People, younger people are like, oh, that's a TikTok song. It's been like a, a mega hit song for, what, 40 years or something like that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway, I guess that's the power of TikTok and youth right now. Yeah. But back to Cat Hasty. I, I don't. 100% under know how we came became privy to each other mm-hmm. but I do know it was Twitter related yeah I found her somehow this is when I was doing my punk music and we bantered just a little bit on Twitter and then followed each other and at that point I think she was doing YouTubing okay and she was making like YouTube videos makeup tutorials and stuff like that and she was already like, she already had a following just based on YouTubing or whatever yeah. she was doing. I didn't, under, I don't understand how, how people like get followers, <laughs> no idea. but she had a lot. And at the time, I think she was just mainly doing YouTube video. She may have done music too, but I didn't really know about it. Yeah. Um, but then uh, eventually at some point she posted some video of her singing a song and i was like wow you have a beautiful voice that's really awesome you're you're awesome that's great and she was like thank you and then i've i've always wanted to do a duet like i love duets i'm gonna mm-hmm. do more duets and i sent her a message saying hey we need you to do a duet like on my album i'm gonna make an album and she said yes let's do it like immediately oh wow so quickly that I didn't believe her. I thought she was just one of those people. Yeah, sounds good. I love it. Just a little quick message. Mm-hmm. But then when the duet started becoming a reality, and at this time, she, at this point, she like released her little acoustic thing, her acoustic yeah. album, her songs, and she was getting bigger. And which was great, you know, for me, but I wanted to do the duet anyway. Like I, I even if no one knew who the hell she was, yeah. I, loved, I loved her voice. So I was going to, I wanted to do the duet regardless of her getting bigger. So I said, you still up for the duet? I have the song. And she was like, yes, absolutely. I said, good, because you've got like the best voice of anyone I know. And she was like, Oh, thank you so much. Anyway, I wrote the song and there was really no problem. Like at no point was she think saying, ah, I have a million streams now. Yeah. And she was all in the whole time. Oh, that's like, awesome. For real. She didn't care that I wasn't popular or anything like that. She did not care. She, I don't think she cares about that. <laughs> but it took a while. The pandemic was affecting this. Uh-huh. And she also became a mother. I think it's okay to say that. Yeah. I mean, she, people know about it. So all this stuff was affecting it. You got a newborn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to stay with the baby. But this whole time I was thinking, I was saying, okay, just let me know when you can do it, when you can do it. I'd remind her. And we got a date down and then uh-huh. the date happened the date, the morning of, I was like, we're still good. Cause she had to drive three hours or something like oh, that wow. to get to Garland. It was a big drive. I don't remember how long, but she got there and she walked in, she had a friend with her, <clears throat> but she walked in and I was like, Hey cat, blah, blah, blah. She met the producer. And like, she pretty quickly said, I can't, I don't think I can sing the duet. I practiced it on the way here and it's not in my key. 
and my eyes oh. got real big <laughs> and the producer said, now you tell us. <laughs> and oh. then I, I think I said, I was like, cat, you're going to do the duet. <laughs> you're, <laughs> like you're here. You literally drove three hours. It's been months in the making. Like mm-hmm. you're going to sing it. And obviously if it's terrible, we're not going to release it, but just come on, dude, sing it. And she, I don't know if you noticed, she ended up singing backing vocals on four or five songs. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have that written down. I have it like straight up on my sheet. I have, did she do background vocals? I'll tell you. Whiskey Attitude, that's her. Because, I, yeah, I thought I recognized her voice, yeah. And Letting You Down, that's her. Mm-hmm. Know What I Mean, obviously, is her. Mm-hmm. I Blame Her, is Cat, that's her. Yeah. And then Tumble Down, that's Cat. So she's on five songs. That's awesome. And that was all during that one session. But yeah, it started out. She was like, no, I can't do it. And I was like, you're going to do it. <laughs> like, you're going to do it. And if it sucks, we just won't release it, but you're going to do it. And uh, yeah, it was cool. She was, I think she drank like 18 cups of coffee before she got there because she was bouncing off the walls. <laughs> but it was really cool. Like she's a really great person. She's a nice person. Yeah. She's an authentic person. She's young. Being around her kind of told me, like, damn, I don't know if I can hang around young people too much. Like, I don't have that energy. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? She was was all, like, bouncy and happy. And not that I'm not happy, but I was just like, I kind of want to take a nap. Anyway, Cat Hasty's awesome. I'm glad she's – very glad she's on the album. And I might do more with her because she's great. For sure. Yeah, I'd love to hear that. That's for sure. All right. Yeah. (laughs) So you had your first record. And I think most people, at least I do, like to learn from their experiences, take it all in, learn the process, see what they can do better, see what they could maybe do differently. So you, with the Puzzle Man album, you wrote it, you, there was the recording process, the releasing process, making an album, it takes a ton of time and a ton of work in all these different areas. So when you started making Whiskey Attitude or anywhere throughout the process of making Whiskey Attitude, was there anything that you like deliberately tried to do differently or take a new approach on based on what you'd learned and picked up in releasing Puzzle Man? There were a couple of situations where I was deliberate in making it less a country album. Uh-huh. For example, Some Do, which is clearly extreme rock and roll. I told them I want this to be a very attitudinal middle finger rock and roll song. Uh-huh. And, and the, the musicians were like, okay, we can rock out on this one. And they played it, and I was like, okay, y'all took me seriously. Good job. And they did. They rocked the hell out. And, and then on My Everything to You, I told them I want a classical fiddle like throughout the thing. Make it like s- something that you would not hear on a country album. Just yeah. a classical fiddle. lost its shine and i know people who just don't try anymore but you know that type of life cannot be mine so i'll just keep on wishing that the world weren't so afraid of a man who does things he's supposed to do if they don't want 
the love that my heart has to give Then I'll just give my everything to you This one, it's really interesting, but it's, but it's like a love song with a twist. It has that Saturn theme behind it all. It has like rejection built into the love part. So tell me about that one. I don't know if there, I don't know if I did the best job of that song of making my intentions clear like where mm-hmm. everyone that listens to it knows what it's about, but I'm actually okay with that because I do like when songs are open to interpretation. Yeah. But I was, my idea behind that song was how to me, the world's morals are, I, I like flip flopping. They're going like upside down. Like yeah. I, was, I was taught as a kid, but don't, don't view people by the color of their skin. That doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. No one picks what color their skin is. That's, don't do that. That's racist. Yeah. You know, now, if you say, I don't, I'm not going to give anyone an advantage because of the color of their skin, you get called racist for that. <laughs> so, yeah. I, once again, I don't want to get political, but things have just gotten like backwards and upside down. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Things that I were, I thought were good and, and fair are, you get accused of being evil for, uh-huh. for being like that. And then vice versa. I've heard people when the looting started, I heard people that I thought were like normal people saying, if this causes change, I'm okay with the looting and the riots. I'm like, what the hell is going on with this world? (laughs) What is going on? So I just, I thought to myself during that song, like if this world doesn't like who I am, what my ideas of good and evil, and if they're going to, if they're going to call me evil for being a good person and being a man and Mm -hmm. doing the things I'm supposed to do, then screw them. I'm going to give everything I have to you. My love. I like it. So that's a pretty unique song in that regard. Yeah. Many songs written about that subject, but it's also to me, at least a a new development. I didn't think that would ever, I never thought it would be a problem where all morals were flipped upside down, but apparently it's a thing. Yeah. That's awesome. And I love that kind of hearing, I guess your story on it. And I do love, like you mentioned, like songs being open to interpretation I love that kind of thing. I feel, I don't know, who knows. I feel there's just songs out there. We're all like just two or three lines, like just back to back. It could be in a verse. It could be anywhere. They like really stick with me and they really, I don't know, twist or just make the message of the song hit a little different than maybe it does for someone else. And I think that's the cool thing about music too. There's, there's songs, I know like a lot in mainstream country Something will be out there and you know what the song's about. One Margarita by Luke Bryan or something like that. But this like interesting, really artful approach, that's where you can get the different takes and different meanings from songs. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's one cool thing about song uh, music as art and mm-hmm. not as just party anthems. I think music is art. It really lets you delve into the song and do your own thinking. And yeah, exactly. Even a song that's not abstract, that's more direct, your life that you've lived might not be anything like Tyler Childers' life. Uh-huh. So he sings a certain song a certain way. You might get something else about it. Even if y'all have, even if it's the same subject matter to both of you, mm-hmm. you might get different emotions from it. 
it totally different, different memories pop up in your head and i think that's really cool <clears throat> yeah all right i've never wanted to be just a, a 90s country dude you know like john wolf or who's that randall king mm -hmm. those guys are badass but that's not what i'm going for i want to my favorite band's the old 97s. Mm -hmm. They are rocking alt-rock country, alt-country rock type stuff. Yeah. And I don't necessarily want to be them either, but I wanted to I wanted to skew more towards that and a little more away, a little away from George Strait. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I did make an effort to do that. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm. Okay, so... Another, another thing. Oh, yeah. On, on that subject, sorry, I was drinking coffee. One thing I want, I like to try to do and i didn't even realize that i was doing this but it's clear to me when i think about it i don't want there to be a certain i don't want to be locked down to a certain sound yeah for example it, i'll use randall king again if he had if he comes out with six albums and they all sound like 90s country 2000s country even it's randall king so i'm sure they'd all be badass right mm -hmm. if his sixth album he's hey guys getting ready for my sixth album and it comes out sounding like sublime <laughs> or something completely different people are yeah. gonna be pissed uh-huh now of course it's his right it's his music he can do whatever the hell he wants to but his fan base will be like man that's not why we listen to you like at all what do yeah because over wanted, and over and over they've been set up with that that like yeah, expectation they, want they know what to expect yeah yeah they want more it's like going into a vietnamese pho restaurant wanting some a big old bowl of pho and they serve you french fries it's like these yeah. are good but that's not what we wanted at all anyway I want it. I want ultimately for it to be people are listening to me, not for that old familiar Seth Jones sound, but more for the lyrics and just some good art that they expect from me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm never going to, I'm probably never going to transition from the sound of puzzle man to a reggae song. That's probably not going to happen. <laughs> if I did something that extreme, I'd start another band, which I, I, I'm definitely gonna do <laughs> at some point yeah but, but i wouldn't be like okay seth jones the puzzle man here's his fifth album and it's a reggae album i'm not gonna do that <laughs> but i would start i'd put that on the seth jones and the upward or one of my other bands or something mm -hmm. but seth jones i still i don't want that sound to be locked down to that old familiar seth jones music sound i don't want that i want it to be a variety country rock alt country it can have a decently wide spectrum but i don't want it to be i don't we want people to expect the same old sound absolutely not, not that there's anything wrong with that i love that like i said randall king i hope his eighth album sounds like his first album it's yeah kind of, nothing wrong with that absolutely what i love about your music is that you tell like your own real life stories and the good, the bad, the ugly. And I felt like listening to this album, it was definitely like a continuation of your story from where you were at with Puzzle Man. So how would you say this album picks up where Puzzle Man left off in terms of telling your story and voicing your experiences? I didn't really, I wouldn't have had a good answer for you on that one until I started writing for my third album. Yeah. And my third album if Whiskey Attitude does a quick pivot away from Puzzle Man towards mm -hmm. self-torment, the third album is basically going to do a long jump into that area. Yeah. But, but it made me, when I was writing for that album, I writing for that album, I thought to myself, man, I grew up on emo. 
Like mm-hmm. I grew up on just these terrifying lyrics about yeah. how, how much torment is in your mind and your heart and how black your mind is. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, every whenever I write, I, that's where I'm wanting to go every single time. Every single time. Even the song on Whiskey Attitude, The Better Half, mm-hmm. even though my life hasn't gone as I planned. That's a love song, but it mentions my life hasn't worked out. But there's even in that happy, that really hot, uh, upbeat love song. It's mm-hmm. clearly a love song. It still has some bit of torment in there. It's yeah. <laughs> so I feel like that's a common theme in most of my writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I, and I love it too. Cause it's not with Seth with a Seth Jones song. It's never going to be like a straight up love song. There's going to be some sort of other like twisted emotion in the backgrounds or just like this one line at some point in the song's just going to, give you an inkling of something else going on it's i love it it's so great <laughs> yeah so, it's something at some point even if it's abstract will have gone wrong in the song yeah <laughs> you know? i kind of love it like <laughs> i can't help but love it it's great I love, I love it too i'm glad that happens that's not planned but I'm, I'm happy about it in the end yeah so we took a deep dive into your songwriting on the first episode we did together but Walk me through what a night of writing songs looks like, especially for some of these songs on the album. What was the overall kind of writing process like for them? We talked about that a little bit at the beginning. but Yeah, and I have such a bad memory. I don't remember what I said, so I guess <laughs> this will be fresh. It's, it varies. Sometimes mm-hmm. I, my job, I work in physical therapy. Yeah. And I've never had a full-time physical therapy job because my wife has a full-time nursing job. And I can work PRN, which means as needed. Yeah. Which there, that basically means I might work a metric crap load or I might not work for four weeks. Oh, wow. Now, I will say this. I've been working more than anyone <laughs> the past <laughs> year. But my point is, I say that to say this. Sometimes I'm not working for a couple weeks in a row. Uh-huh. Now, an out of mind is the devil's workshop. And when that's when it's been several days in a row of me not working, just trying to chill out and relax and work out and go through the motions, at that at some point it's like these my brain that has been preoccupied for the most part mm-hmm. starts thinking of like songs, melodies and lyrics and lines. And then at some point I'll just like a zombie, just casually walk into the music room and start writing something, pick up my guitar, start playing. And sometimes 15 minutes later, I think, oh, my God, I just wrote a song. Like, I, it's, yeah. it's, I'll be damned. I don't, yeah. I don't say, okay, Thursday I'm going to get in there and I'm going to write for two hours. That's not a thing for me. That is not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> I, think that, I think I'm writing songs all day in my head anyway. So when I got a little free time or even sometimes it'll be 1130 at night and I've been drinking whiskey and I'm like, man, I just – that melody I was thinking of earlier and that, that one line I was thinking of, I'm going to go work on that. And I go in there and start writing. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's a kind of, I feel like I'm going along with fate more so than, yeah. Than practicing a, a hobby. It sounds very much when the lightning strikes, it strikes and then you just go act on it. Yeah. And I'll say this, if I worked 48 hours a week, every week, nonstop, I don't know if I'd ever write a song. 
Uh-huh. I'll think I'd be too tired and blah, 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 blah. So it's important for you to have some time off sometimes. Like I said, not to say, okay, I have Monday through Friday off this week. I need to spend a couple of days writing, but just so I can be available, mentally available, so that when songs start coming to me, I can physically get to the guitar and have time to write it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So time off is important. Absolutely. Okay, next up I want to talk about Better Off Alone. Hope it stings you like a scorpion gray about you like a snake and the poison that you've gathered gets you good, goodness sake. When sinfulness you've sharpened finally cuts you to the bone, you'll be sorry you're the reason I'm much better off alone. Could feel the joy inside a bright and rowdy room. Now I hate everywhere I think I want to be. When you finally grow a heart, you'll see. Hope it stings you like a scorpion prey, bites you like a snake, and the poison that you've gathered gets you good, goodness sake. When sinfulness you've sharpened finally cuts you to the bone, you'll be sorry you're the reason I'm much better off alone. What a spiteful song. <laughs> I love the chorus. I have the lyrics written down. I just think it's so awesome. I hope it stings you like a scorpion. I hope it bites you like a snake. And the poison that you've gathered gets you good, for goodness sake. Man. That, I know, I love it. <laughs> that is some strong stuff right there. Walk me through that one. Like I said, I grew up on emo bands love talking about how they're going to kill you or how they want you to die and how bad they wish they were dead because of you like just yeah the most hardcore emotional shit ever so that's ingrained in me is stuff like that i'm always thinking of lines about suffering and pain and the way you make me feel and what you did to me and how i feel and what i'm what what i've done to you and how that makes me feel all that crap man and better off alone i remember wanting to do a train beat type of song like a fast-paced song mm-hmm. and yeah when i wrote that course and was replaying it and i was like man i really love this like it's mm-hmm. so so spotful and we got poisons and stings and bites all in the sucker and i love it yeah and just the very concept of <clears throat> someday you're going to be sorry that you're the reason i'm better off alone like when you finally get some clarity in your mind and you're you grow a a freaking heart for once you're going to look back on the things you've done to me and you're going to regret it and then simultaneously you're saying i am better off alone i'm better off sleeping in a dark and lonely bed the silence in my head like it's i don't know i love the lyrics of that song a lot and uh-huh. then what the musicians did musically i really like that a lot it's the mandolin and stuff i think oh, it sounded yeah. and this I, that one the the guy that mastered the album Mm-hmm. He just kept saying, "Man, better off alone, dude." I freaking love that. I'm obsessed with that song. I'm like, I like it too. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, yeah, same here. And I'm glad you mentioned the mandolin. Like, I I heard that at different points throughout the record. I really liked it. I think that's one of the things that just like really brought it together. And Another, wait, was there mandolin on Puzzle Man on that album? Yeah, there was some mandolin. It wasn't. There was less mandolin in Puzzle Man because the guy that plays uh-huh. mandolin, Milo Deering, 
he didn't join the crew until like halfway through Puzzle Man. Okay, yeah. So half of Puzzle Man is a different fiddle player. And then the new fiddle player came in who also did mandolin and steel. Okay, yeah. Because so it definitely, like, the mandolin really shined through on this one to me. I was like, oh, yeah, because I, I guess since we've talked, I've got, I got a mandolin. Oh, damn, that's and, awesome. Uh, I'm trying to teach myself how to play to very mixed results, but I love the instrument. It's a sound I love. I was just so excited to hear it and all these little – it's just like little glimmers of just awesomeness like throughout the record. It was so cool to hear. Another thing about Better Off Alone is uh, I call that the the most spiteful bluegrass song of all time. Oh, I like it is, that. Essentially, it's bluegrass. Not traditional because it's electric and stuff and yeah. you know, drums, but it's like it's the most spiteful bluegrass song of all time that I've ever heard. I love that. Another fact about Better Off Alone, I wrote it practiced it recorded we tracked it it was recorded it was going to be on the album and then i heard uh, austin mead are you familiar with him i've heard the name yeah austin mead is a like a legit rocker like mm-hmm. you ain't, he might be on texas country stations that dude ain't country he is a rocking mofo i yeah. think he's out of, out of college station but okay. he he released a song i think it's better better alone or something like that but it was very similar and i was like damn (laughs) (laughs) which his song is badass but i like mine too but anyway i I wasn't worried i'm not worried about it there's i'm never worried about overlap of song time because there's been a million songs written and they all have the same principles but anyway he came out with that and i was like oh damn we're thinking the same thing at the same time but it's badass too you should listen first of all listen to austin mead because he is a badass rocker uh-huh. but uh, that song i think it's better alone or something like that it's badass too yeah there's 16 songs on the album coming out i've got to assume there's got to be some songs in the in the back of the seth jones catalog that, that didn't make the album so what is a decision making process like picking and choosing which songs are actually going to be recorded and put on the album that's a very good question <laughs> and i've actually i think i've thought about this at one point and i think uh-huh. what it is and first of all i have a hundred songs i've got yeah. a lot of songs that people haven't heard that, that some of them no one has heard and some of them i've played live a few times a couple of them i've put on instagram uh whatever that tv IGTV. Yeah. but i have so many songs to choose from i'll i will never at any point be thinking to myself i only have eight songs i need 10 for the album that's never going to happen i always uh-huh. have too many <clears throat> and i think what happened with this album is i'd record like four of them we go we track them mm-hmm. i'd be listening to them and i think to myself okay these four are slower lower tempo i need an up tempo one and i think i would go to my my song book and start pra- practicing looking at up up tempo songs mm-hmm. so i do think that there was Let's listen to what we have so far. Listen to all of it together and see what the album is missing. Yeah, going piece by piece. Yeah, piece by piece. If I had, if I recorded four slow, sad songs, I'd think I need like an upbeat, happier song, or yeah, upbeat, angry song, or even if I had seven songs with real mild fiddle, I'd be like, hey, this eighth song, let's go crazy on the fiddle, stuff like that. I just Mm -hmm. you see where you're at and see what you need and you try to add that in there yeah absolutely that's awesome okay so again out of the 16 songs do you by chance have a favorite 
for a long time it was lonely self mm-hmm. because i love the lyrics on that it's very angry spiteful screw you and it sounds like an old 97 song mm-hmm. which obviously goes a long way with me I'm looking at the list now. I did this last time on the podcast too. <laughs> I love playing high and mighty, like playing it live. Yeah. I don't know why. I just, I love, I guess I love the chords and singing it as far as listening to the song. Like if I listen to the album, all 16 songs and someone said, okay, which one was your favorite mm-hmm. right now would probably lean towards when I can't pretend. Okay. Because I've listened I listened to that one after we basically finished it before we mastered it. I listened to it like twenty eight times in a row. It's <laughs> just like, man, I love how it the music resolves and hangs there and then it starts back. The steel starts back and then the talking starts again. I just thought it was so damn cool how it was how it ended up. And lyrically it's pretty damn dark. Yeah. Times when I consider the salvation of a gun, you, they're reminding me my misery's just begun. Like it's mm-hmm. straight up. That's a straight up. Sometimes I want to kill myself. <laughs> it's a, I don't know, dude, I, just, I love that song so much. And it's not necessarily my favorite one to play, but I love listening to it. Oh, absolutely. That's awesome. And I love how favorites change. They're not like a permanent thing. It all depends on, I don't know, just mood and, yeah. what's going on and that's the great thing that's why i love albums because there's something for there's a song on there for every type of different way you're feeling and the favors do change gives you like so many different little glimpses and different little stories i love that yeah and that's what makes an album timeless you can mm-hmm. you can put the thing on and there's you can take that little journey and there's that big variety there and like you said earlier, diving deep into stuff and rediscovering this, you didn't discover the first time. Yeah. I think that's an awesome aspect of, have, of an album, especially a double album, a big-ass 16-song album. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. So out of the 16, was there one that, like one in particular that was hardest to write? Once again, looking through the list. <laughs> I tumble down was tough. We get in sticky situations. Sometimes it's hard just to explain. I'd say that you and me ain't normal. I'd like to think we aren't insane Like that time that it was storming We held the gazebo down The rain was falling sideways And we thought that we might drown It was dark and it was cold And then the power just went out It's those things you can't make up It's those things you can't make up We just keep moving until something trips us up And then we stumble over, but seldom do we fall And if we do I 
I actually wrote that one years ago. Oh, wow. I wrote that one, I don't know, like maybe four years ago, four or five. I wow. Could, I, could, I could look it up because I posted it on Facebook when I wrote it. Mm-hmm. But that one's very hard because those are all real stories. Each each verse is a real story, and they're not yeah. like normal stories. It's talking uh-huh. about a, a gazebo blowing down, the power going out, driving yep. to New York City, and making making a picnic, and then putting it all up when my mom drives home because we're embarrassed. Those are it's hard to write a song about such strange stories, and yeah. that was tough to do because I wanted to make sure I told these stories. And I wanted to also make sure it rhymed and stuff without being mm-hmm. stupid. It's easy to rhyme, but but I know a lot of like young songwriters. They I can tell they forced a rhyme because it's stupid. It's uh-huh. like okay, man, you rhymed, but you ruined the song with that rhyme. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'd rather you not rhyme there and just make it a good song. But mm-hmm. it was hard. It was hard to make that song work and rhyme and all that. Technically, that song was tough. <clears throat> and letting you down. That song, which boy, that one gets stuck in my head about as much as any song that I've <laughs> listened to. But letting you down, we actually went on vacation in Arkansas, and I told my wife, which I hate leaving Texas. I mm-hmm. hate. I don't even like leaving my house. <laughs> I hate leaving Texas, and I told my wife, I said, "I'll go on this vacation with you if I if I can bring my guitar and and you give me time to write when I need to write." Because, like I told you. It just hits me. So I basically told her, like, be on your toes because when I say you need to leave, then you need to leave and go do something in town or whatever. So I remember I had this song idea in my head the night before, and I was like, oh, my gosh. And I picked up my guitar just to get the riff in, the riff down and listen to it. And she said, are you writing a song? I said, no, I'm just I'm starting one. And then we went to sleep. Next morning we woke up. I was drinking coffee, and she was saying something like, you want to go for a walk and check out this trail? I said, you go for the walk. I'm going to write. She said, okay. So I went on the little back balcony. There's a little small balcony overlooking this this cliff. Mm-hmm. It was a cool little view. It was a pretty uh, dense forest, but still, you could tell you're on a cliff. And I was writing the song, and it was coming together pretty well, and I kept getting stuck on certain parts. And then I was like, man, why can't I get past this part? Why can't I figure something out? And I remember I was about to quit. Like, I'll just finish it some other time. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, dude, you've been writing, you're 34. I said, you've been writing songs since you were 17. Like, what do you mean you're going to quit and try later? If you can't write a song at this point, when it's time to write a song, then you're a piece of shit. <laughs> and I do that to myself a lot. That's how I got, uh-huh. so that's how I transformed my body, added all the muscle. I, I constantly talk shit to myself. That really helps me a lot. But I did that. I was like, dude, don't give up. Don't be a loser. So I sat there and I thought, I can do this. I can make this work. Just think of different words, different melodies, different thoughts. And I did it. And I basically that song wouldn't have happened had I not challenged myself and insulted my abilities <laughs> right there mm-hmm. on that deck. So that song was tough to write, but it was also pretty triumphant because when I finished it, I thought, man, I challenged myself. I was like, man, you're better than that. Don't just give up. You said you're going to write a song in Arkansas. You're stuck at a part, but you can get by it. You've written hundreds of songs. Just do the song. And mm-hmm. I, I remember I was like, I'm going to do it. And I did it and I listened to it. And I thought, I really like this song, and I'm glad I challenged myself. It's such a nice, it's a little love song, but I love you have these such, just, these just really 
specific details, as you mentioned earlier, like the gazebo and the rainstorm and like all the things you can't make up, but it's just such a beautiful song. And the idea that sometimes I might fall, but I'll tumble down with you. It's just perfect. It just like fits. It's just satisfying the way it all plays out in the lyrics. So tell me about that. Let me tell you from a songwriter's perspective, it's probably the best love song I'll ever write because it is so personal. Uh-huh. I might could write a better radio love song. I mean, definitely could. But yeah. as far as a love song to my wife, uh-huh. it can't get better than that. Because Yeah, this is your story. Because you have yeah. all those stories that only you could have in those random moments. Yeah, yeah it's pages out of our story. Exactly. No one else no one else has those three stories in their life. Those are two those stories are so weird. But here's the thing, after I wrote it, I thought, man, that is such a cool a really good chorus. Just it is powerful like we may stumble, but seldom do we fall and if we do, then I'll tumble down with you. That's a powerful we're in this together good and yeah. bad. We stumble a lot, we have problems and if problems get big, then we're both going down. Like I mm-hmm. think that's super sweet and powerful yeah when you write an awesome chorus like that you want it to turn into a big song like a Uh lot of people like it and it would have much more wide appeal if the verses were generic love song verses Mm -hmm. not not just generic as in shallow crappy nashville but generic as in these could fit with any person Yeah, non-specific to one person, not stories. You know, Tyler Childers, really good, like deep lyrical love song. So part of me wished, I was like, man, I wish I could have made these verses just love song verses to pair with that awesome chorus. But then I thought to myself, that's not what I do. That's not me. I, I wrote this song. I wrote a very specific, powerful love song with stories and it's that's a really cool thing that other people don't do if i would have changed if i would have changed those lyrics to be non-specific and not specific stories with about my life it just becomes another song that anyone could have written yeah but no one could have written that because no one has those stories and i love songs that i feel like the writer is the only one that could have written that Uh uh-huh and that checks that box so i'm really happy with how it turned out yeah yeah, that pretty that wraps up at all the music related discussion. But I gotta say, I love this album. I'm so excited for it to be out and for people to hear it. I mean, I just loved it. It was great. I appreciate. It. I'm glad once again that you don't just you don't just hear an album. You listen to it. You dive uh-huh. into it. You listen to it. You listen to the lyrics. The, you try to decipher meaning. That's exactly what I want. That's what, when I think of a quality fan base over a quantity fan base, which is what mm-hmm. I'm embracing these days, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I want, I want a thousand people like you as opposed to a hundred thousand people like Nashville man's fans. So I appreciate that about you, and I want, I want to find more people like you. Absolutely. I appreciate that. All right. I believe the time has come to, uh, for potentially, the biggest debate right here of, of 2020. Although this is, this is harder than, this is harder than writing songs to me. <laughs> yeah. It, honestly, like I'm in the same boat with you. Do you think you had more of a role 
in the sonic perspective of this album like from a producer standpoint did you make any conscious changes to the sound or trying to experiment like anywhere in particular because some of these songs had such a distinct instrumental presence to me as well like i loved the mandolin in certain places and i think you mentioned it earlier i have written down like i love the fiddle in my everything to you it really Mm -hmm. stuck with me so what was that kind of whole experience like controlling the the sonic perspective of it all? I definitely had more control on this one. I had mm-hmm. as much control as I wanted to on the first one. The problem yeah. was I didn't want any. I didn't care. Yeah. I don't know if I told you this, but that when I recorded the Puzzle Man album, I was like, I was just getting out of a depression, mm-hmm. like a legit depression, not sadness but depression. Yeah. And didn't really give a shit. I was like, man, whatever. Just y'all do what you want to do. It's a country song. And they did it. And man, they didn't let me down. Yeah. It sounds great. (laughs) It sounds great. But on this one, I thought I had my thought process was this trust them. They know what they're doing. However, I mean, that cuts both ways. They're elite musicians, studio musicians, right? Mm-hmm. So one, trust them. But two, you can tell them what you want and they can pull it off. Yeah. For the same reason. They're elite. They are They're some of the best in the world at what they do. So what I would do is I'd say, like on some do, I'd say, hey, I want, to, I want this to rock out, like for real, like a rock mm-hmm. song. Yeah. And I don't know, they wouldn't have, done that had i not said that and then of course they did it and i let them do it the their way and it worked out and then my everything to you i would like a classical fiddle which i think was actually my wife's idea but yeah but anyway i told them that and there's no way they would have done that but they would have made it a country song mm-hmm. and, and i said to do that and i told them at the end do that abrupt stop that dump like that quick stop oh yeah so i had I definitely had more say on these, but at the same time, like I said, I, a lot of time I tell them, Hey, y'all do what you want. Here's the chord. I'd play the song for them on my guitar and say, there's a song. Let's see what y'all got. Mm -hmm. I would do that a lot of the time. However, I definitely, on many of the songs told them, Hey, this is what I want on the song. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think it resulted in a product that I think puzzle man was very cohesive Mm -hmm. and whiskey attitude is so cohesive as well but like within that body of work there's a lot more like playfulness you can hear it just comparing like the two albums you can definitely hear more adventurous more a more more adventurous and playful take on it and i loved it yeah and i thought about that at one point because i do i do think to myself sometimes we talked about this a while ago like i could Dude, I love all sorts of music, but I don't want, I don't want the, the album to be, I don't want it to be four country songs and then a reggae song. I don't want it to be that extreme, mm-hmm. but I think that I can take chances and it will still remain cohesive because mm-hmm. I, first of all, I'm the one singing them all, right? But a lot of people, a lot of bands can say that, you know, the young mm-hmm. singer, but yeah. I think it's important that I, by myself, one dude, every bit of the song oh, every totally. song like it's me so they're all going to have just subconsciously a commonality because it's one <laughs> even as weird as my brain is it's still one brain yeah so i think as long as i'm the sole writer of every lyric every melody every chord i have if it's all 
me in the creation process and then other people come in and flesh it out with instruments, I think I can make them all fairly different and they remain cohesive because of that. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. I love that. And I really like the way you said that. That's cool. So how much of this album was done at like the beginning of March when COVID took over everything? And what was it like finishing up the album during all of COVID and all of what 2020 has been? Because especially now you've made Puzzle Man, which was in a completely COVID-free pandemic world. And then (laughs) now you've gone through and you've made a whole album in a very, in a pandemic. So what was the, what was the differences like between those two processes and what in the world went on there? How'd you get it done? The COVID problems definitely made it take longer. Mm -hmm. I believe if I started the album now, it wouldn't take longer, but there, remember when it first started, there are lots of questions, yeah. lots of misinformation, lots of mystery. And as far as I was concerned, I, I wasn't really, at, not to get political, I've never been worried about COVID really throughout this whole process. Yeah. But the producer, he's old. He, he's an older guy and he's got different health profile. So he was understandably more worried, right? Mm-hmm. So the album started, I don't have I don't have dates for you, but the album started pretty early in 2020, mm-hmm. like January or something like that, February. Yeah, and and we started it. I think we reeled off four, maybe eight songs real quick, mm-hmm. and then the pandemic. And then it was, I don't even think I talked about it to the producer. We just both knew we're not recording right now, mm-hmm. so I didn't talk to him for months. Wow. And this was during the recording of an album, uh-huh. and then at some point. I don't know what happened. Maybe the restrictions started lowering or something like that, but it was still definitely pandemic mode. I told him, I was like, Hey, Paul, we're going to, we're going to record anytime soon. I got more songs and he's, and I think he called me and said, Oh, we're, we're making some changes. We're sealing off certain rooms. I got, I'm getting disinfectants. He was basically preparing to do this safely, mm-hmm. but that, you know, that delayed the album several months. Once he changed those rules, oh, here's how we're going to make the studio safer, blah, 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 blah. Once that happened, it was it was up and at him again. We started doing it at a normal rate. So I think, rough estimate, the pandemic slowed me down two months. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Not bad, but it's interesting. It's just interesting to think about just because, man, like I am not at college right now. Back in... I don't know, a year ago, I was at college. I was expecting to be at college right now. Yeah. I am still not. So it's just so weird to think about just the way every everything has just been affected. It's truly unique. That is very true. Very true. Awesome. Okay, so <laughs> for everyone listening, Seth is a huge fan of The Office, and I am a huge fan of The Office. Last time in our first episode, we did like Office trivia. So go listen to that. There were some like specific questions that I had no clue the answer to, but you like started quoting the show on multiple occasions, like just right out of nowhere. <laughs> I was not so. perfect, but when I, I knew most of them and, the, uh-huh. and when I knew them, I showed off and gave like extra. Oh answers. yeah. Yeah. You put me in my place, but this time what we have is we have all of the characters of the office, or at least like the main, we have the main characters and we're going to rank them. So there's, it's like categorically. So there's, like 
S, just superior, like above all, like the elite tier. Exactly. And then we have like a letter grade. We have A, B, C, D. And then at the bottom, we'll just call it like F, like the absolute worst characters of the office. So let me say, let me give a caveat here. Yeah. The one at the bottom, the F, so to speak. Yeah. On my screen, it was just random letters. Okay. Yeah. Same here. Which may imply cursing, like they suck so bad. Yeah. I didn't know what that was, so I didn't rate anyone there. Okay. So that does affect (laughs) my ratings a bit. But remember, I came from this, I came at this as in D as bad as you can get. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So combine F and D for me. All right. Basically, is is where I'm going about it. And I have a question before I'll let you you lead the show here. Yeah. But I have a question for you out of Uh curiosity. Which grade level had the most people in it on yours? That's a great question. So mine is actually B. Mine too. Like the the average. Exactly. I felt like the the most had to be there. Yeah, because if everyone – if you had everyone in S and then some below it, the rankings would be weird. It's like, yeah, exactly. You don't really covet S characters, do you? Because they're all S. Yeah. I think we both had the same mindset in regards to B and above B and below B. Uh-huh. So that's good. Totally, yeah. Like, I, I picked four for S for my top tier. I picked four, but it's, I just couldn't decide on some. <laughs> Man, I got two on S. Okay. <laughs> so all how right. do you want to go about this? Let's start at the bottom, and we can give some deliberation where we think it's needed as well. Let me tell you, um, let me, let me tell you something. Uh-huh. You can tell me if you like this or not. All right. I almost feel like we should start at B. Okay. Because one, we have the most people in B, and two, that's the least exciting ones. That's true. Because that's then, true. Then we can go Very down true. to C and why they're a little below B, and then... D, why, like why we had the balls to put these people at D. And then we can go to A, talk about the, the heavy hitters, and then S, we can explain the elite level. You know what? I love that. B, that's, C, that's D, great. and then A, S. Yeah. Okay. Let's okay. do that. All right. So B. It's very – yeah, again, okay, so we both have the most people here. And for me, this was just people, or at least characters – I don't have anything against them for the majority of the series. I might like them a lot more at the end than I did at the beginning or because they all had their own arcs. And I think that's something that was really I factored cool about that the in. Office. Okay. Yeah. But this was just very compared to everyone else. It was just very middle of the road, nothing insulting, but nothing over the top. So start on your left, Starting the left side B. on B. Yes. Yeah. The first one for B I have is Angela. Okay, let me find Angela. I also have Angela on B. Okay. And I feel like Angela is the B for me is like the average. That doesn't mean bad or exactly. or great, whatever. Angela is a great solid office character. She's not a main character. She's not one of the main characters, but I feel like when I feel like you get a lot of value out of Angela. Yeah. She she doesn't have the most lines, but when she talks, it's usually very a very angela thing to say and it's funny she does have great moments and she really doesn't get terrible later in the seasons or anything like that i feel like she's a good solid character yeah i feel like she definitely gets better like she probably does yeah yeah all right yeah okay so angela okay we're both on the same page for this one i feel like you might have this next person higher but i have oscar and b and where and b as in boy yep 
I also have Oscar at B. Okay. I, I feel like him and Angela, appropriately, because they end up good friends and stuff. Yeah. Like, I feel like they're both the same type of character. They're a very solid, great character on The Office. Nothing special. The show needs them. The show needs exactly. these. The show is much better because of these B characters. Exactly. Uh, you can't have but, all Michael Scott's running around the place. Right. That would be dysfunctional. Yeah. I feel like Oscar was a, a really good character. He was... He's integral in many episodes. He's integral in story arcs. The yeah, Michael being extremely inappropriate. Like if it, <laughs> they had to have a gay guy in the office for Michael to be super inappropriate with gay people. Right, <laughs> they right. had to have him. Absolutely. And I, like, and I love that. I love that Oscar is not. And this is typical office. He's not a flamboyant, over the top gay. He's just a regular dude. He's not like he's. Yeah, I'm gay. I'm a gay guy. Like it's regular dude. I thought that was. It's an. That's an awesome. Awesome character, just regular guy. They're like, yeah, I'm gay. It's not like a Modern Family, which I don't watch, but I know that those guys are like super flamboyant, like gay, right? Yeah. Oscar's just an accountant. <laughs> I think that's like perfect exactly. for the office. The perfect exactly. For the show. But once again, he's. It's not like he's a hilarious character or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I got him at B. Yeah. All right. Next up in B, I have Phyllis. I also have Phyllis at B. All right. I feel like Phyllis, to me, was almost a C. I almost had her at C because she's she honestly is not as good entertaining as of a character as Oscar or Angela. That's true. Uh, But what made me bump her up to a B is that she was probably the most. As far as one part of one thing about the office that was so great is it really seemed like these were normal people for the mm-hmm. most part, just a crazy office with a crazy boss and the crazy Dwight. But Phyllis was super normal. Like she looked like a, like a, right? a lady that would work at your office. And she kind of acted like that too, with moments of over the top, like sexual. Yeah. I thought she was good enough to be B, but she was probably, she was close to C. I almost put her at C, but she's B. Yeah. So I did this last night, and I'm already kind of debating my life decisions here. But next up in the B category is Kelly Kapoor. And if anything, I would bump her down. You know what? We differ here. Really? I have Kelly Kapoor at A. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Here we go. Dude, I feel like she was very funny in the show. I I I can't think of specific there's a lot of specific moments, but the the one thing against her is that they didn't have her character fleshed out till like later in season one. Exactly. Season yeah. Two. But man, once she was full Kelly, as they say on the Office Ladies podcast, once she went yeah. full, they say full Mindy because they she turned into Mindy Kaling basically. Uh-huh. She was once Kelly was full Mindy. She was like, I thought she was very like she's got so many really funny parts and just That's weird, true. like when. Like this one part that my my wife always laughs out loud at is when what's his name from Satikoy Steel. Oh my god! Oh, the mean boss, Idris Elba. Oh, oh, I know Charles Minor. Charles Minor, Charles Minor's. That's weird. I'm gonna call you Aaron. Right. Yes. And she's just my middle name. And what she says, I'm gonna call you Kelly. I'm gonna call you Aaron. And then Kelly throws a fit. She's like, you know what my middle name is? Raja Maganda. And I hate it. Uh-huh. And like runs out. Like <laughs> Samantha always laughs at that part. And then the part where she's, she, they're losing weight. And she goes, oh, yes. The worm. And Creed says, after two weeks, I'll pass it. 
and I look amazing. Like she's about to pass out. So I just think she's a very interesting, funny character. So I'll put okay. her on the A. Yeah. I'll get yeah. I think so. I think what kept her from going higher for me was just she's so she can be a lot at times. Just that's yes. the character. Like the whole Ryan thing, just her with any dude is <laughs> just like, oh my uh, lord, woman. That's, I think that's another but, reason I put her at A, though. But it's comedy. Yeah, it's great. Her, her and Ryan work so de- well together. He's like, I don't know, man. There's so many moments where he just treats her like crap. Uh huh. And she's, she's cool with it. <laughs> she's yep. like, uh, if you have $10, he's like, let's have sex one more time. Also, if you got $10 for gas, that'd be great. And she's, he looks at him and goes, Okay. <laughs> it's like, all right. right. I don't know. I just, I love the Kelly and Ryan thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Next up in B. I don't know. This is the other one that I was like, I don't know, but I have Aaron in B. She's not the smartest, but she's a nice gal. She's yeah. just there. She's a nice gal. I put Aaron at A. Okay. Yeah. I put Aaron at A because she is one of the weirdest characters in TV history. Exactly. That's She's true. Extremely weird. Uh, how she puts her hair in front of her face, and this was my room. Oh yeah, this is my room. <laughs> my room. And what's your? I love that whole episode where she's. Like, Do you have a favorite day or month? And Michael's like, day or month? Or that's right. anyway. It, it's, like, I liked like June when I was seven or whatever. Yeah, she's yeah. Because like, yeah. I love June. When I was, and she's just so weird. Man. I like weird stuff because I'm yeah. weird. And like I usually, I don't use, I don't always laugh at what other people laugh at i laugh at the weird part that no one laughed at mm-hmm. and aaron's got a lot of that that weird stuff i thought she was a great character and and i could i could have put her at b i probably almost put her at b but i kept thinking of these scenes with her that were so weird and <laughs> she put me over the top <laughs> and they're talking about how to save money for the company and she's like how about we put a life insurance on some uh on somebody and then kill them and collect the paycheck <laughs> i bet y'all would like that wouldn't you and then she's like, I think that's what they're doing to me. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, she's a funny character. All right. I have two more in B. So I have David Wallace in B. I don't know why necessarily, because he wasn't like a main part of the series necessarily. And he's, I, I guess he's the reason why Michael Scott Paper Company existed. Michael Scott got mad. But I don't know. I just always like David Wallace. I put David Wallace in B. Okay. Well. I feel like just like Angela, he's an important part of the show. He was a good character. He wasn't he didn't have a whole lot of lines, but yeah, you know, he was very he did, logical. He, like he played he, his role. He like, did, yeah. But then like you could probably put that person in this that's that I just described in the C and it'd be fine. But I feel like he I feel like the actor did a great job. Mm-hmm. And and one of my favorite parts of the whole series was when Michael visits him at his house. And he's trying to pitch him, <laughs> suck it. Uh huh. And and Michael's pulling out of the driveway, and David just keeps following him and waving. Uh-huh. And Michael's like, "Oh my god!" And he's in the bathroom, and he says, "There are not many things that would make me that would keep me from working with David Wallace, but suck it is one of them." <laughs> that always just kills me. I put David Wallace in B. He could have been C, but I put him in B. Yeah. Okay. And then my last one for B. Is Holly. And I liked Holly. She was weird, too. She's just, like, the perfect match for Michael. She just wasn't in a ton of everything. She wasn't there for the longest time. So I felt like I couldn't put her, like, super high. But for when she was there, I enjoyed her. And I thought, like, seeing her and Michael together, that was a good thing. So she's in B. Uh, this, if there was a sound effect I could play for a don't don this would be it. 
Okay. This is our, this is our first S or D moment, okay? Uh, I'll put Holly Flax at D. Okay. <laughs> Holly, I have four people in D, and Holly Flax is one of them. I put her at D because, one, I don't – she her, – her character never made me laugh, really. She didn't have any good writing. She added to the show. She let other people play off her, which is great. Yeah. Her character itself – she never had any moments That's like true. Mindy or Michael. Or yeah, I can look at most characters that had a, a, a line written for them that made me laugh because it was a smart line. She didn't have any. Michael had a lot off of her, but mm-hmm. she didn't have any. And then my choice was also very biased, okay? Uh-huh. I view Holly as the beginning of the end. Because okay, fair. She yeah, took, when, when, left, when, she, yeah. when she popped up, it was great. When she came back, it was fine. And then when they got engaged, it was still Uh-oh. funny. But it it led to the end of Michael Scott, and I hated that. And whenever, like, I get this, I still enjoy the show and at the near the end of season seven. But it, like, Holly is just a harbinger of doom. So that's right. I I feel comfortable putting Holly at D. Okay, that's warranted. I'll give you that. That's very <laughs> warranted. Okay, so now. That's all my B's. So now we're going to go to my C's. Okay. Okay. First up. And this one, I feel like I can explain. C, I have Andy. When Andy came in, when Jim was in Stanford, I hated Andy. I hated Andy so much. And then like <laughs> they transferred. I hated Andy so much. But then, you know what? He turned around. His character took like a complete 180. I ended up loving Andy so much. And then in like seasons eight and nine, they take Andy and they completely screw him up again. And they I do. hate Andy again. They have that terrible relationship with Aaron and him and he leaves on this boat. And then he just makes a fool out of himself at the end. Like, I, you know what? Andy already had his time when I didn't like him. And he turned around and I really liked him. And so that's why he has the C. But just because of, I hated him at the beginning and the end, yeah. that's why he's down there. Okay, I have Andy at B. Okay. And uh, I actually agree with everything you said. <laughs> but I have him at B as opposed to C because I feel like Andy, when he's good, was really good. That's like he, true, yeah. He was great when he was good. When he was bad, it was like, man, why'd y'all do this to, to Andy? Uh, yeah. Uh, but also, I, I thought I definitely didn't like Andy when he was the most annoying person on earth. But he was great for the show. He had comedy. Um, He added a lot to the show. That was awesome. But uh, I had Andy at B. And if they wouldn't have run his character, I may have put him at A or S, honestly. But they did, like you said, they did run his character. Yeah. Okay, next up for C. There is so much comedy, like, around this person. But the person themselves is just, like, so dull and sad. And it's Toby Flinderson. (laughs) Like... Michael insulting this man, that was probably some of my favorite moments from the show. But, like, just as a character himself, he was just a sad man. Didn't have a much, didn't have a lot going, didn't just have a lot going on. So, Toby's in C. C. Okay. I almost put Toby in D just as a joke because it's Uh tough. Exactly. Get out of here, Toby. Yeah. But I came to my senses, tried to respect the, the drill. I actually put him at B. Okay. And it's somewhat, my logic's somewhat contradictory to the Holly logic, but 
I feel like Toby was super important to the show because Michael's hatred for Toby was a major theme for seven seasons for all That's the very true for all the re- super relevant seasons in my book. And it was so great. I, I feel like once again, it's not, you know, Toby is the actor or is the, the, the lines that he gave, but I feel like he was super integral to the office. Just like Angela, Oscar feel like I said, Phyllis, I feel like she was important for the feel of the show. Mm-hmm. I think Toby was the same way. So I got him at B. All right. Okay. Next up for C. Okay. I have four in C, so I have two more. So for C, I put Robert California in C. And people are very opinionated on Robert California. And okay, season eight and nine, they just don't really compare to mm-hmm. everything else when you still had Michael. But we well, can't. Can't but, compare. Exactly. But like Robert California was just such this like mysterious, just interesting character. Like he was just kind of out there. Like he has that line where he's, I'm the lizard king. Yeah. I mean, I, just this man was just so interesting, <laughs> yes. interesting and puzzling to try and watch and figure out. So for that, I put him in C. I put him in C as well. <clears throat> okay. And uh, I'll say he was actually, he was like a great character, but not necessarily for this show. Yeah, you know I mean? it's a great way of putting it. Like he, he just much Holly was a harbinger of change. Mm-hmm. He was the token of the change. Like mm-hmm. here is our change. This is our show now. It's going to be more like this. Mm-hmm. So he, although I do think he was a great, he was, he's a B arguably a quality character. Oh I yeah. Feel like he, he wasn't the office. Like totally. he didn't fit in this show. So that's why I put him at the C. Totally. Okay. Last one for C. And I feel like this is just purely because of the sheer entertainment that resulted in this character even existing. Jan Levinson. I have at C. I think in large part just because of the dinner party episode. Yeah, that that goes. Just what a character. Just entertainment value wise. I put Jan at B. Okay, yeah. Uh, I feel like while she was there, she was great. I think she was a great character. She wouldn't like a – she's not a character you'll love. It's Jan. How do you love – she kind of like uh, – kind of like uh, – what's the CEO's name? My brain is not working today. David Wallace, she played her role. The actress did. I feel like the writing – she was good to bounce stuff off of. Michael Scott was hilarious off of her. Kevin was hilarious off of her. She, uh-huh. just, she was a good conduit for comedy. And she was a, a good, interesting character. And she was a prominent character in the heyday seasons of The Office. So I feel like uh-huh. she's a, cor- a cornerstone. Clearly, I don't, have, I don't have her at A because of the negatives. But I have her at yeah. B above C because of like the cornerstone. She's one of the original yeah. big-time plays left for Michael Scott. So I got her at B. All right. Okay, so that's on my C's. So now we're down to D's. Okay. So, and okay, I have D's and F's. I guess you just have D's. Call, call your D's and F's the same thing. Okay. So these part. are the worst people on the office. Yes. This one might be controversial. I just did not like this character at all. They've been there since day one. <gasps> I just don't, I don't know. This is probably going to be controversial. 
<laughs> Ryan Howard. Wow. At the bottom. I don't like I don't know how to better explain myself. Is it a myself. personality thing? Like you don't like I think it. it's just I think that's what it is. I think it's just personality wise. Like Ryan Howard, no thank you. Okay. But I think we, that's sheerly personality based. Let me say this. I have him at A. Okay. Yeah. So we're thought, at different thought, ends of yeah. the spectrum. Not complete uh-huh. opposite ends, but we're pretty far here. But I think uh-huh. we have different metrics here. Yeah, probably. Because you're judging it based on, I don't like the guy. He annoys me, blah, blah, blah. I'm judging it based on kind of, he's one of the more cartoony characters in the show. Like outlandish. Yeah. First of all, his character has a strange arc. And you can tell the writers were like, we have to do something different with Ryan. Like he's, we need to do something different with him. Because he took a big turn from the, I mean, he was a very competent young man in business school. And he, he was that way for a long time. And that worked well. And then he turned into the ultimate millennial Bernie Sanders voter, just very stereotypical what he is. I don't know. That's true. Yeah. What, I don't know the word they were going for, whether it was millennial or what. But uh-huh. whatever word they were going for, he was the antithesis of the, or the, he was the perfect example of that. Okay. He was like, here's to the troops, both sides. He's just, oh, he yeah. Over, I, I know what you mean. Top. He was over the top, very cartoony in that regard. However, those moments made me laugh a lot. They're very entertaining to me personally. And then I also give him points for being the other half of the Kelly Ryan duo. That's true. So, there was a lot of entertainment value there. I might have done him a little dirty here. Although he was in D above my F's, but yeah. There you go. You got that going for you. But he, I think he was an A regardless. But if he was threatening to be a B, the Kelly relationship and the banter and their comedic duo bumped him up to the A with Kelly. Okay, yeah. That's I like it. Yeah, that's I like that they're together. Okay, next up, this. I think this decision was the character seemed quite nice. Actually, probably be no problem with them, but just because of the sheer fact that Karen Filippelli prevented the Jim and Pam thing for even longer, Karen Filippelli down there. I, I figured you might put her at D. I put Karen. I put her at C. Okay. And I put her at C because one, she wasn't a great character. So I didn't put her at B. And she wasn't really a terrible character. She was just kind of part of the story. Exactly. She was like a plot line character almost. Yeah, she was like nothing special. She at no point was she really funny. Mm-hmm. I don't even think she was funny. So I put her at C. I didn't put her at D because I didn't dislike her. And I probably yeah. am I probably am biased because a lot of people hate her for the Jim and Pam stuff. But mm-hmm. if you watch, if you focus on this thought, when you watch the, when she's introduced to the show, keep asking yourself, at what point does she do something wrong or bad? Oh no, exactly. It I'm never happens. You. She definitely didn't <laughs> but, do anything bad. But people act exactly. like she's the devil. Yeah. And, and I don't think she was. I've done that because people talk trash about her. Oh, oh big time she came between Jim and Pam. So I've watched it from the perspective of when does she, let's see when she makes me mad or does something wrong. Mm -hmm. And I just kept finding stuff that Pam was doing wrong. (laughs) True. That's true. Karen's just trying to have a boyfriend and she's being done dirty by him, but she's trying to be supportive and make it work. I feel like she's 
But I put her at a C because, hell, I don't think she was a great character and wasn't that funny. Yeah, that's true. I don't think she ever did anything wrong, but just because of... She could have gone... Yeah, she could have gone D for me too, but I got her at C. Yeah. Probably a sympathy C. All right, next up, Roy. That whole thing was just a mess, not going to lie. Yeah, once again, I think we have different metrics. He turned it around, though. I feel like like you're judging him like on personality and stuff i feel like I, yeah i'm doing that for certain ones but then not doing it for others <laughs> I, it's I'm, I'm doing the, no i'm doing the same thing like i said i contradicted myself mm-hmm. we have to go with our gut on these yeah exactly this is hard this is hard to do oh big time but, but i put roy at b because i feel like once again he was an original office character that gives him some points for me mm-hmm. i feel like he was a a good he was a very important part of the early jim and pam saga yeah yeah he yeah was, he was integral he was the thing keeping them apart mm-hmm. and uh, forget about him coming back later as a classic pianist and all that crap <laughs> I, don't, I don't even watch those episodes like I, mm-hmm. i'll stop at seven usually yeah but, but when Roy was there i don't know i feel like he was really important to the story i feel like he did a good job yeah and in a weird way he had like moments of endearment like when he came up there he was like hey can i hang out with you guys this guy uh-huh. jerks he had these little moments and i don't know i feel like he was a more complex character than he was written to be i feel like they accidentally made him a little more complex and i think that's cool. that's interesting yeah <laughs> i need to pay more attention to roy give him a and shot like the the next time i the next time i watch the show for the I think it'll be like the I mean, 21st time or something. Yeah. <laughs> Make no mistake. I'm not saying, oh, I loved Roy, but I'm just, I yeah. think he's a good character for the office. I need to pay more attention to him. Okay. And then now, I guess these are all D's, but these are, now we're like into the F's. Like, I'm just going to lump these two together. Yeah. I know. It's okay. the two yeah, guys. Exactly. Why do they need, there's no point for them. I feel, I don't even know their names, dude. I know it's Plop <laughs> and Clark. Yeah, Clark, Peter, and, yeah, like, Peter. Pete, I don't even why. know their names. I feel like when they added, first of all, I think they may have been writers. I'm not. Oh, sure. That might be it. Yeah, Clark seems like he the the nerdier the the that's true. Guy. Yeah, I feel like he could be a writer. Dwight Junior. Um, because he was like you can actually tell he's a funny dude like in real life. Uh huh. You could tell by how he delivers his lines and stuff. But I feel like those two were introduced with the thought of. What if the office goes for eight more years? Mm-hmm. We got to introduce some new blood for them to grow with. Yeah, I think that those two were part of that next generation of the office, probably, which obviously didn't happen and shouldn't have happened. I'm glad it didn't. Yeah, I'm good but with that decision. I feel like they, if you were to watch the first, second, third season of the office, and then you watch the the ones where they were like the stars or part, you know, co stars. I feel like you'd be very disappointed. <laughs> like, why, what are these dudes doing? So, yeah, they were just – I got them at D, too, man. Like, mm-hmm. And I probably would have put them at F if I had known about F. Yeah. Because they were just like, why are they even in the show? Okay. So I have two more. These are my two least favorite people. And I don't know. This one, that would be, like, I guess second to least favorite. Actually, no. Okay. Maybe better than Clark and Plop. But yeah. – and this character – they just enraged me for a while. Just complete rage. But then, like, by the end of the second half of the ninth season, I'm just like, okay, like, you vibe with the group. But still, I don't know. Just overall, Nellie Bertram. Yeah. 
I got her at D. Probably would have put her at F had I known about F. Uh huh. Nelly, at no point was funny to me in any yeah. way. <laughs> just like screwing everything up. It's just like a problem happening everywhere. I feel like she was great friends with Greg Daniels. I think oh, she was yeah. great friends with the big shots of the uh-huh. office, the lead, right? Maybe Steve Farrell, Greg Daniels. I feel like they they thought she was funny, like in real life or whatever, uh-huh. and thought we have to get her in the show somehow. Because if you remember, she interviewed for the job, and yep. then and that was her little cameo, and then yeah. disappeared for a long time, then came back. Then the people, she is. The people making decisions were like, we've got to get her back. She would add so much to the show. And mm-hmm. more they wrong, because she wasn't funny. Her weird... It's not even British comedy. British comedy is funny. Her yeah. was trying to be British comedy, and it wasn't, which is mm-hmm. ironic. British, <laughs> right? But she, I agree with you, dude. Like F, like not cool, man. Not funny. All right, we've now come to my least favorite character in all of the office. I just despise this person and everything about them. <laughs> but I think because they, I just dislike them so much that added entertainment value to the show but a gabe lewis yeah i I have i have gabe at at c okay and i think what i think what maybe kept him from a d is i feel like he was important he was joe's right hand man he was involved in some funny stuff it it wasn't funny because of him but he was involved in some funny stuff yeah and That's a good way of putting again, it. I have him at C, not B. C ain't good, but I have him at like a low C, okay? Because mm-hmm. he could have been a D, but he was involved in some funny stuff, and he hung around for a while, and I don't know. I, I agree with you. He wasn't anything special. I, I have him higher than you, clearly, but not much higher. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're jumping up to A. Okay. I have five in A. The first one, Stanley Hudson. I like Stanley a lot, but there just wasn't like he has some hilarious moments. There's like the pretzel day. There's just him being, he was just Stanley, just Stanley being Stanley. It was just like funny, but it wasn't overwhelmingly just enough to put him in that top tier. But one of my favorites. I probably did Stanley dirty. Okay. I have him at C. Okay. I, w- I know that's controversial, too, because he is beloved. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I like Stanley a lot. He is an iconic office character. I probably mm-hmm. should have put him at B, but I put him at C, possibly because my B was stacked, and I was like, I can't just make everybody B, right? Yeah. Someone had to go. He was on the chopping block. I put him at C. He was funny. He's got some very funny – he's got some of the best facial expressions on the show. Right. Yeah, that could have got totally agree. B, but I got him at C just because I don't. I'm gonna say some stuff that might be harsh just to justify the fact that I put him at C. Okay. I feel like they could have got someone else to do that role too. I feel like uh, what's his real name, Leslie something. Yeah, something. I feel like he did the best Stanley in the world, but I I feel like he was somewhat replaceable. Okay. Okay. I love the I love the I love the character of Stan. I could have put him at B. Once again, 
B was full. I had to. I wanted to make some. T- this is one of the. T- that was one of the tougher decisions. Yeah, putting Stanley SC. Well, I wanted to make my list have some credibility and add some, get some people off of B. All right, that's my controversial next, one. Is okay, yeah. The next two, they're both at A, and they go together. And I feel like they're both day ones. They're mm-hmm. both just great to watch. They're the characters that like are almost like the sense of like logic in the office and like the sense of any kind of common sense and normalcy. Mm-hmm. But they like. Because of that, they didn't have the overwhelming, like, outrageousness to put them in the S for me. Yeah. But they're just great characters, Jim and Pam, both in A for me. Okay. I I also put Jim and Pam at A. All right. And I feel like it would be really weird to put them at, you know, any lower, right? Uh-huh. It's Jim and Pam. It's They're two of the main characters. Mm-hmm. I will say I was closer to putting Pam at B. Yes, I would. That's I liked, where she would fall to. Yeah, I liked Jim more than Pam. I agree. They were cl- they're so they're like I said they're the main characters, right? Mm-hmm. It'd be weird to put them at B. I put them at A, and uh, I feel like they're at A partially because they're the main characters, not so much because mm-hmm. of how funny they were, how great yeah. they were, or anything. And of course, they've got the relationship aspect working for them as well. So yeah, yeah, A for them. <laughs> Okay, also an A. I just liked this character. They might not have been like the most, I guess, on just like straight up funny, but just the way they interacted, especially with Michael and just in like situations, Daryl's in in the A for me. Yeah, I love Daryl's character. I I have him at B. Okay. But he's probably like he could fall to that as well. Yeah, he's probably a high B for me. I feel like, much like with Angela, you get a lot of bang for your buck with Daryl. Like, mm-hmm. he didn't have as much screen time as other people, but when he was on there, it was good. It was solid and it was funny. Yeah. He had some really funny parts. Mm-hmm. So I have Daryl at a B, but it's a high B. All right. Next up. Okay. So I had this one. This is my last for A. Okay. And. I feel like it just because of the moments where we see this character, almost every single one of them are just so funny. It could have been like a very light S, but I put it in A because I didn't want my S to have more than my A. Right. Meredith. I have Meredith in A. Wow. Okay. I yeah. Put, I, I put just Meredith. think it's so funny. Anything she's involved with. She is very funny. I put her at a B. <clears throat> okay. And I put her at a B because she does have some very funny moments, but she also has, and this is, man, The Office was so well written. It's not often where I see a scene or a line, I'm thinking like, oh, they shouldn't have done that. But she's got Mm -hmm. a couple of them. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Uh, There's one scene where she's, someone says, take off your dress. And she says, okay. And then someone says, no, Meredith, keep it on. And she's like, it's coming off anyway. I feel like that's not Office comedy. Yeah, Those that different yeah. shows comedy in that little moment, and I'm like, why did they do that? That's so true. Like she's got some things I feel like were forced on her, on her character. But mm-hmm. I have her at B. It's the same tier as Daryl. <laughs> so obviously, yeah. I'm not I'm not trashing her. But I would say she's more of a low B, and Daryl's like a high B. Okay. So, but I have her at B. All right. Now we've entered 
the superior people, at least yeah. in my taste. I have four I have at two. the top. Yeah, the elite. Okay. Yeah, and I guess there's only four characters I haven't brought up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number one, Dwight Schrute. Okay. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's my number one overall, but he's like the first in my S category. I have Dwight there just because he's the character. I've never seen any character like Dwight Schrute. <laughs> there is one Dwight Schrute. Rain Wilson, like that is his defining role. I don't know how anything could differ. It's just Dwight. I don't know how to really explain it. Like just, it's so unique to the show. It's such like a, there's painful moments mm-hmm. or it's just, what is this dude doing? <laughs> but just Dwight being Dwight from an entertainment perspective, he's in the S for me. I'm going to, I'm going to say he's one of my two S's. Okay. Because Dwight is one of the greatest characters in TV history. He's yes. so weird. He takes everything so seriously. Mm-hmm. He's com- He's real complex, man. He's sometimes he seems like a, a complete idiot and then sometimes he's like legit like saying some crazy stuff about nature or how humans react or how babies act and like he's <laughs> completely right and no one else and he's oh yeah of course i've studied that mm-hmm. and then he has a very jacked up past he went to a mutant academy for three years as a child uh-huh. He didn't see his dad for eight years. He the thought his dad was humans or whatever. Yeah. yeah. If you if you wrote down all the weird stuff about his life, you'd be like, oh my God, no wonder he's so weird. But I don't know. It's it's hard to explain a character like Dwight, and that's one reason why I have him at S. He's so mm-hmm. good. He's You could do a podcast just about him. That's know? so true. You could do 18 episodes, two hours of pop. <laughs> just mm-hmm. what. He's great. <laughs> okay, the next one. I have number two of four is someone who I don't think they ever set a line. I don't think, I don't know this character. I don't think they ever set a line that wasn't just the most random, hilarious, terrifying thing. And that's gotta be Creed. Like every (laughs) single line he had in the entire show, I feel like it was a Creed. It was a Creed thought. Like it, yeah exactly it was insanity and he was just so mysterious and random because like he wasn't at the forefront a lot of times but when creed was there like creed could have one line in an episode and i guarantee it's the line that i remember the most of the whole thing it's just creed is truly tremendous i have met i have him at a okay i have him at a, at a high a he'd probably be higher if he had more lines but yeah honest honestly he shouldn't have more lines. Exactly. It's kind of perfect. But I've met A. He didn't make me laugh all the time like he made you laugh all the time, but mm-hmm. he definitely made me laugh often. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and sometimes you laugh and then you just think, what the hell? What does he do at home? You know what I mean? Right. Like he, he's right. got that. What is, I want to know more about that guy's life. He's got that mm-hmm. factor about him. So I definitely appreciate him. I have him at a high A. Okay. <laughs> Next one on my S's. There's two people we have not talked about. Okay. Let's go with Kevin. Yep. It's Kevin. And I I love Kevin so much. There's like the chili scene. There's the thing where he like finds the turtle, runs it over with his car. (laughs) He puts it back together with random items from the kitchen. Thinks it's alive, but it's been dead the whole time. The thing like when he just sinks. 
Yeah, exactly. The thing with <laughs> the thing with the dog where he's explaining how his dog like never moves and never eats and everybody's oh my god, Kevin, you killed Kevin. this dog. He's dead. He yeah. <laughs> when like in the Olympics, the Office Olympics episode, when like they're doing the national anthem, he like just has his left hand over, like completely wrong side. Yeah, like, just little stuff like that. Yeah. It, when Holly thought he was like mentally challenged that was oh, so man. funny to me that i mean everything about kevin i love kevin i had kevin at a high a uh-huh i got kevin on i put kevin on a primarily to make s super exclusive and meaningful okay yeah to make it more impactful but mm-hmm. kevin he's near the top of the a's man mm-hmm. kevin is tremendous he's a fantastic character he's so dumb <laughs> but I don't know. It's he's got so many scenes, and you know what? As far as like character importance, if it, the writers like put okay, these character these characters are most important. These are second most. He's like on the same tier as Angela, Oscar, Phyllis. Mm-hmm. They're the same tier, but I feel like he's by far the best out of them. Easily, by far the best. And I think the writers knew that and loved writing for Kevin because he was such an idiot and right. Yeah, I, I haven't Kevin at a high A, and he could have been an S, but once again, I just wanted to make S really elite on my list. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that leaves only one, and you've had you've named one S, and so I'm pretty sure this is your second because nobody else is left. OG Michael Scott, Michael once, Gary Scott, Michael Gary Scott, as Jim said on the phone. Yeah, I have two S's. It's Dwight and it's Michael Scott. And I, I feel, feel like, like it has to be, yeah. I feel like those two characters are first of all, let me say this. Michael Scott, I believe, is the greatest comedic character in television history. Uh-huh. Bar none. Like uh-huh. you can't you, it has not been beat. I doubt very seriously it'll ever be beat. So he has to go on S. And then mm-hmm. just to bounce back to Dwight, since I only have two on my S list, I feel like he's a truly unique character too. He's incredible. He's Michael Michael and Dwight, they check every box. Integral to the storylines, extremely hilarious lines, extremely hilarious when playing off of less funny characters, unique. You want to know what they do when they get home. I always mm-hmm. want to know what Michael does when he gets home. Like, I just, I'm mixing some bag of vegetables. I heat it up, sit down. I just, I don't know. Yeah. It's hard to explain. The things they say really make you want to see what they do when they go home, what they do on their way home. Mm-hmm. They're just super interesting characters to me, and and uh, obviously they're cornerstone top. They're the most. They, I would say Dwight, Michael, Jim, and Pam are the main characters of The Office. Yep. Yeah, but, I think that Dwight and Michael are like a good bit ahead of Jim and Pam as far as oh easily good characters. Yeah, I'd agree. Well. That wraps it up. That was fun. I liked that. That was fun. Absolutely fun. And yeah, yeah. And I believe that we, I believe that we did our best to not disrespect people, but to also maintain integrity of the ranking system. Oh, very much so. That was fun, huh? I enjoyed that. Anything oh. office related? I'm in. Oh yeah, me too. With that, I want to thank Seth for joining me today, talking about The Office, and diving into his music-making process. Be sure to check out Seth's new album, Whiskey Attitude, at all the links in the description, and you can always find me over on Twitter, at OKCountry1, for daily country music conversations. 
go listen to some great country music, and I'll catch you out soon with another episode.